From WBUR and Reddit, Endless Thread is back with a new special series. Madness, the secret mission for mind control and the people who paid the price. Light deprivation, shock treatment, hallucinogenic drugs, and she lost her soul. Subscribe to Endless Thread on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. Eddie? Oh, did you just get here on your bike? Yeah. I always try to get WBUR on my bike. Funnily enough, we have never run into each other here before. Hey, hey look, look at the people in front of us. Did you ever notice how everyone's kind of like checking themselves out in the windows reflection? No. Are you checking yourself, Eddie? It's kind of hard not to. Okay, well, honestly, I can't really see myself in the windows over there. But um, maybe I should explain for uh, the listeners who may not know, I'm actually legally blind. So, you know, when you say you're legally blind, what does that actually mean? What can you see? Um, it basically means that my vision is kind of like a camera that's, like, super out of focus. So, like, everything's just really blurry. Basically, things that are closer are easier for me to see, and the farther away things get, the blurrier they get. So, so, so outside on the sidewalk, that's really tough. Kind of, because the windows are actually too far away for me to be able to see my reflection. But what about, like, at home? Do you have a big mirror there you can use? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I have a gigantic mirror. It's huge, and then I'll take a picture, and then I can zoom in on the picture on my phone. So trust me, I definitely get enough of my reflection at home. So, you know, talking about your vision and how well or how poorly you can see yourself, like in the mirror, really relates in a kind of poetic way to exactly what we're going to be talking about today, which is body image and self-image. You know, you definitely don't need 2020 vision to struggle with body image or self-image issues. And what perfect timing, because we have now arrived at the studio. And now that we're behind the mics, we can start the last episode of our first season. Eddie, you start. I'm Dr. Eddie Phillips. And I'm Yuna Jada. This is Food We Need to Talk. So, Yuna, in the last episode, we touched on body image and self-image in the context of eating disorders. But there's definitely so much more to talk about, even more than what to eat or how much to exercise. Having a positive body image has been the biggest challenge that I have struggled with over the past six years. So, Yuna, what is it exactly about body image that's so difficult for you? We, we actually started this whole podcast talking about the point that, like, no one would ever look at you and say, oh, my God, Yuna is so overweight. I kind of know that to be true in my head. Like, if I went to the doctor, sure, maybe he wouldn't say I'm, quote, overweight. But I also knew that I was definitely not skinny enough, according to my family and, like, comments they would make and little hints here and there. Like, I knew I wasn't as skinny as my sisters and I wasn't as skinny as my friends. I would just get this, like, pit in my stomach when I saw my reflection And then I knew I would need to do something to change it, and it would lead to all the behaviors that we've kind of talked about. So, you know, the positive psychology folks actually talk about body image, and they say, you know, what you see is only the first part. You also went right into how you feel about it. Yes. Which is not always that positive, from what I'm hearing. No, very rarely. And then you went into, like, what you're thinking about it. Yeah. And then how does that trigger your behavior? So you see something in the mirror, this is your body, you have a feeling about it, in your case, like, I'm not skinny enough. 
And then what's the behavior? What did that lead to next? It would lead to meal skipping or just restricting. It would lead to maybe like going to the gym twice the next day. It would lead to ordering pills online. So basically every change I made diet-wise or exercise-wise was just to change the way I looked. And like it would go so far that I wouldn't buy clothes that would fit me in my current body. I would only buy clothes for my future body. So I have an entire box of crop tops in my closet just waiting until my stomach is flat enough and I'm able to fit a size small. You bought them on speculation. I bought them because (laughs) in my defense, they were limited edition. So Uh I was like, they're never going to be sold again. So I need to stockpile now. Uh Anyway, obviously I've never worn them. And that's like hundreds of dollars of clothes. So when you had a negative body image, you looked in the mirror and you saw and you felt and you you bought these crop, how do you say them? Crop Crop tops. tops. Crop tops that you're saying you've never worn. How did that then affect your self-image? And there's a distinction here, right? Yeah. So beyond what you just think about your body, self-image is kind of like what you think of your overall self as a human being, right? Right. So let's break out some of the pieces of this. Okay. Beyond just what you're seeing in the mirror. Ready. Okay. Intellectually. You have a degree in neuroscience, a minor in music. I can't believe you remembered. (laughs) Yeah. um, I think, like, it's okay. It's good. I would give you a higher mark than that. Okay. (laughs) Friends and family. I love, love, love my family, and I have so many close friends. Okay. How would you describe your own personality? I'd say it's okay. I'm not, I'm trying to say, like, I'm not unhappy with it. I have uh-huh. no negative emotions towards it. So you're feeling pretty good about how you you've get along with other people. Oh, definitely, Okay, yeah. and your energy? It's like, good. I'm always okay. hyper. Well, hyper, I mean, I would, just working with you, I would say you're the one that lights up the room. Thank you, Eddie. That people kind of go like, oh, did you meet Yuna? You know, so nice. She, and then what about, like, your physical functioning? Very like, good. Okay, so you're I, able to... Yes, I've been working on that for a long time, so, like... The gym, running, endurance, everything. Like, I feel very good about my physical functioning. And then you look in the mirror, and does that all go poof? Like, when you ask me about them all separately, Uh I don't necessarily have a problem with any one of these specific things. But I've been used to thinking negative thoughts about my body for so long that I feel like it's just bled into my general attitude towards myself. Because you kept on getting slapped down by like, I'm not losing the weight. Yeah, for sure. And for a long time, I had the belief that in order to be pretty, you had to be skinny, which even as I say it out loud now, I'm like, oh my God, that's just blatantly untrue. I don't think anybody should be ashamed of their body. But for my body, for me, it was definitely 100% true. Oftentimes when we lose some weight, we will be judged as being more attractive. That is not a real thing, unfortunately, but people are very judgmental about appearances. So this is Dr. Mark Berman. He's a lifestyle medicine doctor, just like you, Eddie. Hey! And he's chief medical officer of Better Therapeutics, which is a digital health startup. He says our culture is so focused on appearance that we make all these sacrifices just for a future ideal self. And if we shift the narrative a little bit, that is, well, I want to feel happier right now. I want to feel less stressed right now. I want to feel more confident and stronger and more physically able. I want to feel better in my body right now. Then you can do the very same things that, you know, we would encourage you to do to lose weight, 
but you're doing it for a slightly different reason. And then as a result, you get a lot more benefit from it. So, you know, I would add to that. We really need to be careful about the words that we use to describe ourselves. It turns out that saying bad things about our bodies actually bleeds into our subconscious and it hurts our self-image. And, Eddie, we haven't even talked about weight stigma yet, which is things that other people say that can make you feel bad about your body and yourself. Right. So one example of this is fat shaming. Exactly. So fat shaming can be super outright, like it can be kids bullying other kids on the playground, but it can also be really subtle. So I can remember all the time growing up, whenever a celebrity would gain like 10 pounds, all these people, I know, (laughs) all these people on TMZ or like on tabloids and stuff would come out and say, this person is so fat now. Oh my God. It was so clear to me that the message was a bigger body was worse than a smaller body. So to delve into this topic deeper, I spoke to a researcher who studies weight stigma. This is Janet Tomoyama, an associate professor and PhD in health psychology at UCLA. I think it's pretty obvious to anyone listening that fat shaming makes people feel bad about themselves. Um, but what I wanted to do was take it a step further and say, okay, but what does fat shaming do to our actual health? What does it do to our bodies? And what she found was actually really troubling. When you experience weight stigma, your stress hormone cortisol goes up. Cortisol makes you gain weight. And so I realized, oh my gosh, there's this vicious cycle thing going on where you are shamed because of your weight. That makes your cortisol go up. That makes you eat more. That makes you gain weight. And that could put you at even higher risk of experiencing more fat shaming. Yuna, this is so disheartening. I feel like my stress levels are going up just hearing about this. I know. So not only that, but Janet Tomoyama also told me that fat shaming makes people choose unhealthier foods and exercise less. What? It's going the wrong way. If someone's just shamed you because of the way you look, the last thing you want to do is put on some tight clothing and then go to a gym, which is, you know, a situation where you could just get stigmatized all over again. So what's clear here, Yuna, is that shaming people is not helping anybody. Right. But another troubling statistic is that weight stigma seems to be on the rise. You know, it's incredibly pervasive. Some studies find aspects of weight bias being more common than things like racism or sexism or homophobia. So coming into this podcast, I actually thought that this desire for us all to be thinner and thinner was purely an aesthetic thing, like we just prefer the way thinner people look. Mm -hmm. But it turns out it has more to do with status or class. So people higher up in our society, at least today, tend to be thinner because they have more money, they can afford trainers, they can afford exercise classes, Lululemon, chefs, organic food, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. And so I do think it's really tied to who has the power and we want to look like the people who have power. That's a really powerful idea. And I think it gets to something really fundamental about how body image can have such a profound impact on your self-image too. And how it's tied to a particular culture. Like, how are we supposed to escape something that is so pervasive? So there's actually a movement that's been launched to address weight and weight stigma. Okay, well, let's talk about that after the break.
From WBUR and Reddit, Endless Thread is back with a new special series about a real conspiracy involving a doctor in Montreal, LSD, and the CIA. They saw him confessing, and they thought, somebody else is controlling this guy's mind. Madness, the secret mission for mind control and the people who paid the price. Subscribe to Endless Thread on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. So, Yuna, that movement that we were talking about before the break that grew up as a response to weight stigma, it's called Health at Every Size. And you guys wrote to us about this a lot. So we wanted to learn more about this ourselves. This is Dr. Leslie Williams. She's a certified eating disorder specialist at Banner Behavioral Health Hospital in Scottsdale, Arizona. So the idea of health at every size is that we can achieve health regardless of the size that we are. I think that what people sometimes get confused by is believing that health at every size means that every size is healthy. Huh, that's definitely what I thought when I first heard the name. Well, Dr. Williams is an advocate of health at every size, and she says that the movement is more centered around the idea that being overweight doesn't always mean being unhealthy, which is an assumption we make all the time. There are people across the spectrum of different weights that can have issues regarding their health, be it at a low body weight, be it at a higher body weight, and everywhere in between. So as a physician, I need to actually check my own bias and not make a quick judgment that my patient's unhealthy just because they're carrying excess weight. Mm -hmm. So we use the BMI. We've talked about it, the body mass index. It looks at the height and the weight. But weight alone, or even the BMI, is really not the best measure of health. On the flip side, I would never assume that my patient is healthy just because their weight is in a healthy range. Mm -hmm. I need to do my whole job. I need to look at their labs, their health behaviors, their signs, their symptoms. That's what gives the full story. I have patients at very high BMIs that do triathlons and are very active and have perfect labs. And the idea that as a culture, we would look at them and just visually make the determination that they are unhealthy based on their body weight is not accurate and it's actually harmful. So, Eddie, here's where I get confused. On the one hand, yes, we shouldn't just be focused on weight. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, does that mean that we just shouldn't care? Like, should we just never look at our weight ever? Well, if you look at large populations and follow them for a long time, you're going to see a correlation between those that have excess weight and negative health outcomes. But does that mean that it's the excess weight that is causing these negative health outcomes? It's hard to know for certain. But using those same kind of studies, these large populations, that's where we saw the link between, for instance, tobacco and lung cancer, or the fact that if you're physically inactive, you have a higher chance of getting heart disease. It was only later that the science came along and showed the causation. We were then able to show that smoking caused changes in cells, and that led to the cancer. But in this case, Janet Tamayama says it might be something other than the excess weight that is causing all the health problems. You know, it could be that not exercising is what's really behind this. And if you don't exercise, then more fat cells accumulate. But really, the poor health is due to not exercising. 
while not exercising, I think everyone can agree on is bad for everyone's health. Mm-hmm. But I spoke to another researcher, Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford, who specializes in obesity medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital. And I asked her the question, is excess weight in and of itself a health issue? Well, so I would say we have to look at not just the fat itself. We have to look at where the fat is distributed. So when we carry excess weight, particularly in our central region, so in our abdominal region, one of the organs we're concerned about is our liver, for example. And so what's becoming one of the number one reasons for liver transplants in the United States today is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is directly associated with the degree of excess weight that we carry in our abdominal region. So there are some health risks that patients do need to know about. Fatty liver disease is one. There's also type 2 diabetes as another example. And I do need to advise patients about these things just the way I would advise them if their cholesterol or their blood pressure were too high. It's just a really tricky issue because it's something that I think a lot of people, myself included, view as part of ourselves. Like my body is Mm -hmm. me and I don't identify with my blood pressure Mm. or my blood sugar levels, but I do identify with my body. There's something really personal about the weight. Yeah, it's just such a personal topic. Here's Dr. Leslie Williams again, the eating disorders expert. I believe that we are going to get better results if we focus more on healthy behaviors versus focusing solely on weight. I think because of weight stigma, we as a society and more specifically we as a medical community feel very comfortable kind of um, demonizing people for their body size and doing it from this aspect of I'm concerned about your health versus looking at the overall picture and looking at the statistics that really demonstrate that that sole focus on weight has not been successful. So I know for me, using something like a scale can be really tempting because you can write it down, you can track it on your phone. There's an app for it. (laughs) There's a million apps for it, but it can also be really damaging. So there was a period in my life where if I woke up in the morning and I was lighter, I was like, today's going to be a great day. And if I woke (laughs) up and I was heavier, I was like, today's the worst day. Everything's going to go horrible. Oh, we're going the wrong direction. And then your body image. And then my body image would be bad. And by extension, my self-image That's where we started this whole conversation, huh? Exactly. So if the scale leads to detrimental health behaviors the way it does for me, Janet Tamayama says there are many other things that we can track that are much better markers of our health. How many fruits and vegetables are you eating? How's your sleep? I mean, sleep science is showing that it's related to not only good health, but also good mental health. Exercising more, so moving around and getting a handle on stress. And these things will improve your health no matter what you weigh. So Eddie, those are actually all things that we've had full episodes Mm -hmm, dedicated mm -hmm. to. So everybody should definitely go check those out if we haven't already. But if we wanted a number to track that's not weight, what would be something that we can measure? So you still want a number. Well, here's something I say to my patients and Dr. Stanford says she uses. I won't give my patients a target weight, but I will give them a target waist circumference. So what we do know is that if women have a waist circumference of 35 inches or less, or if men have a waist circumference of 40 inches or less, that reduces risk of metabolic disease and poor health outcomes such as fatty liver disease. 
So listen, if your doctor has checked out all of your health factors and is telling you you should lose some weight to improve your health, listen to your doctor. But Eddie, what if your doctor has never said that to you and you still want to lose weight because you don't think you look the way you should look? Well, maybe let's get back to the point of this whole episode and probably the whole podcast. Beating yourself up is not helping. It's not only horrible for your mental health, but clearly it also affects your physical health. One thing that we say is, I'm fat. I am fat. Well, you're not fat. You're way more than fat. Oh, my God. I know that voice. Yes, it's Sal Stefano. Oh, my God. Your favorite <laughs> fitness podcaster. Yes, your body contains fat. There's fat on your body. But you're a lot more than that, and you offer way more to the world. Way more real things, Una, that matter, like what you do for other people, what kind of father, mother, sister, brother, friend you are, how you show up in the world and what you offer, how you look at yourself. You can look objectively, and you can say to yourself, well, my physical body right now is reflecting some of the ways that I've treated it, and I haven't been treating it very well. I've been eating in a way that hasn't taken care of myself, and I haven't been active. So right now, my physical body displays that with excess body fat, and I don't have a lot of muscle strength, and I have some joint problems or whatever, but I'm still a good human being. I still deserve dignity. In fact, I deserve dignity from myself. I deserve respect from myself. And how do you treat somebody that you care about and that you respect? How do you treat them? To treat someone with dignity is to feed them well. It's not to restrict them. It's about giving them nourishing foods, maybe a treat once in a while. You're going to exercise appropriately. You're not going to starve. You're not going to run for hours. You can have a body image. You can look at yourself and say, my body looks like this, but my self-image, I am a good person. Um, it's time to start taking care of myself like a good person and then watch what happens. Okay, so what I've gathered from you and Sal is that <laughs> it's probably not a good idea to look in the mirror and just be like, oh my God, I'm disgusting. Like, it's... not a helpful thought. So people would come to me a lot and they'd say, you know, I want to lose weight. And I would always bring it back and try and narrow it down to their ultimate motivation. And I'd say, you know, okay, you want to lose weight? Why? And it's, oh, so I can... You know, so I can be healthier. Why? So I can this. Why, why, why? And eventually they'd say, so I can be happy. So that's definitely one of the biggest takeaways that I've gotten from this podcast, which is anytime I do something to affect my weight or change the way I look, it only ends up making things worse. And I came into this podcast thinking, I've already done the over-dieting thing. I've already done the over-exercising. Like, Been there, done that. Huh? I know what's up. I'm just like explaining it to other people, yada, yada, yada. But it's really made me look at why I do the things I do. And it's changed the way I see things. So I don't see food as calories anymore. I really look at it as nourishment for my body. I don't see exercise as punishment. I see it as something that I love, that I do for myself every day. And most importantly, it's made me stop being so hard on myself if I see myself on video or if I see myself in a photo or in the mirror, which is like the greatest mental relief to me. Amen. I'll tell you, Yuna, <laughs> what I've learned doing this podcast is first off how amazingly fraught our relationship with food has become. Mm -hmm. The challenges that just bombard us as we struggle just to feed our bodies and our minds in a healthy way. But I wanted to take a minute here and acknowledge your willingness to be open, to publicly share your struggles and successes, 
It's informed us. It's made us all much more empathetic. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Eddie. You've just been like the most kind, non-judgmental guide, and you're just like so great to work with, and you just make every time we record so, so fun. Thank you. And then, of course, we want to say thank you to our listeners because you guys made this something so great, especially with our community that we've created on Instagram and when you guys email us. Like, I just love talking to you guys back and forth, and it's been so amazing. Thanks to our stigma-free guests, Dr. Mark Berman, Dr. Leslie Williams, Janet Tomoyama, Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford, and Sal Stefano. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps us reach new listeners. Food We Need to Talk is brought to you by WBUR. Our engineer and producer is George Hicks. Our supervising editor is Elizabeth Harrison. Our executive producer is Terry Goldberg. With additional technical and editorial support from Catherine Brewer, Paul Veitkiss, and the WBUR iLab. Thank you so much from Dr. Eddie Phillips and me, Yuna Jada. Peace out. From WBUR and Reddit, Endless Thread is back with a new special series about a real conspiracy involving LSD, a doctor in Montreal, and the CIA. People have a hard time grasping the reality of this. Madness. They saw him confessing, and they thought, somebody else is controlling this guy's mind. A story in five parts about the secret mission for mind control and the people who paid the price. Light deprivation, shock treatment, hallucinogenic drugs. What came home was a shadow, a shell of a man. I want everyone to know that I went through hell. Subscribe to Endless Thread on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.